I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to two passages. They'll likely be across the page from one another in your Bibles. Haggai chapter 1 and Zechariah chapter 1. And I'll give you a moment to find those. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. And if you're still in Psalms, you've not gone far enough. So Haggai 1 and Zechariah chapter 1. Back in Winston-Salem, folks here from our church uh, will know that just shortly after the week of prayer uh, that was in Greenville, uh, Pastor Kimbrough, the senior pastor at our church, was away for a whole month, four Sundays. And so I preached those four Sundays in a row in our church there in Winston. And I preached a series of messages through the book of Zechariah. I am not going to make any effort at all to do all of that for you today or this afternoon, but what I want to do is try to give you something of a, not so much a summary of all of what Zechariah says, um, but really hit most of the application part of the theme that the prophet Zechariah is preaching. And I want to look at the verse in Haggai as well, because Haggai said basically the same thing. Zechariah says his message, and then we'll see when we come to the New Testament, one verse in James that I won't necessarily have you turn to, because it's one that the vast majority of you have memorized already, and I'll just quote it in a few moments. In the New Testament, James says the exact same thing. And so this is a theme that is consistent through Scripture, but one that is the key message of the prophet Zechariah. So we'll read Zechariah first, then we'll go back and we'll read the verse in Haggai, and then we'll seek the Lord in prayer and ask help as we uh, consider the word this afternoon. But Zechariah 1 and verse number 3, I'm sorry, verse number 3 of Zechariah chapter 1. And really, this is Zechariah's theme verse for his whole prophecy. He says, Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. And then Zechariah's whole prophecy is going to be on that subject, what it is to turn to the Lord and what it is for the Lord to turn to his people. But then if you look over at Haggai chapter 1, verse number 13, this is something of the theme uh, in the book of Haggai as well. Chapter 1, verse 13 of Haggai, Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. I am with you, saith the Lord. Let's seek the Lord in prayer, and then we'll come and put these verses together here this afternoon. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you that in the scriptures you have spoken to us plainly. You're not playing games with us. You're not seeking to hide your will or in some way make your commandments difficult to understand but you have spoken faithfully and and plainly and forthrightly to us 
about what you desire of us. And we pray that as we consider these verses this afternoon, you would work in our hearts in such a way to increase our desire to turn unto you. uh, That we would also leave this afternoon with a greater confidence to know that you are with us, you are for your people, and a greater confidence and understanding in what it is for you to turn unto us. We thank you that you are a covenant-keeping and a promise-keeping God to us, your people. And when you have made a promise to us, we can be sure, we can be very confident that you will always keep your word. And we thank you that this is just merely one of very many examples that we can point to in Scripture, that you keep your word to your people. And so bless us as we consider this this afternoon. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does it mean for the Lord to turn to his people? You look at Zechariah 1, verse, 13, or verse 3. Zechariah preaching to the remnant of the people that had returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. There was a little shy of 50,000 people that were that faithful remnant that had gone back. They were faithful in that they believed the promises of God. They wanted to rebuild the temple. Uh, You, I'm sure, are aware of the two main characters. There's Joshua, the high priest, and then there was Zerubbabel, who was the descendant of the kingly line, but Zerubbabel was the one who was in charge of rebuilding the temple. Uh, Later would come along Nehemiah that would be in charge of rebuilding the walls. Nehemiah is not quite in the picture when Haggai and Zechariah are going, not, not quite yet. But Haggai and Zechariah begin to preach about 18 years after the Lord's people return. And as I mentioned just briefly in an illustration this morning, Haggai challenged the people to consider your ways. They were spending their energies and their focus on building their own houses And Haggai is saying to the people, you've left the Lord's house undone. This is your main responsibility. This is where your focus needs to be. Your your focus and your priorities are in the wrong place. Consider your ways. And the people do repent at the preaching of Haggai, the preaching of Zechariah. There is a turning unto the Lord. But Zechariah's main message here is, Thus saith the Lord, Turn unto me, saith the Lord, and I will turn unto you. If you read the book of Zechariah, which I would encourage you to do, you'll find that right after this first chapter of Zechariah, Zechariah goes into a series of eight visions. In one night, he had eight visions that the Lord showed to him. Uh, probably did not get much sleep that night uh, with all these visions that he was being shown. But I would submit to you, if you read the book of Zechariah from this perspective, all of those visions were a demonstration to Zechariah of what it would look like when the Lord keeps his promise, when the people turn to him and the Lord turns to his people. And You eventually come to chapter 8. The visions are done there, but you get to chapter 8, and it's a chapter of just pure victory. 
It's just victorious. The Lord provides in an abundant and marvelous way. And so what does it mean for the Lord to turn to his people? Now, we could take just that phrase and think about it just on a very surface level. And we could say, well, if the Lord has to turn around to come back to his people, then does that insinuate or does that imply to us in some way that God was going the wrong direction? That, that God was somehow doing something wrong and God was going the wrong way and he had to stop and turn around and come back to us? Well, I think we're obviously uh, spiritually astute enough to know that that's not the situation at all. It is we, it is the Lord's people, it was them in Zechariah's day, but as we apply it to ourselves today, it's us that have gone the wrong way. And if I could put it in a very simple explanation, I would say that when we are going away from the Lord, then the Lord stops demonstrating himself to us in the same way that he did before. I used that illustration this morning of a, a water spigot, and I, I, at least in my simple brain, that communicates quite well. It's as if the Lord just turns down the flow of blessing. You're not going to honor me. You're not going to follow me. You're not going to keep my commandments. Then you're not going to receive my blessing. Now, does that mean that the Lord never blesses his people even when we're doing something that's wrong? I've been blessed when I've been doing wrong. And so have you. So it's not that the Lord never blesses his people when they do wrong. But we have no reason to anticipate the Lord's blessing when we're not following him. But we can take the entire tenor of Scripture and come to the conclusion that we have every reason to expect the Lord's blessing when we are following him. Because the Lord communicates to us that way. You turn unto me, and I will turn unto you. This is what the Lord has, has promised to do. Haggai, he puts it a little bit different way, but he's saying substantively the same thing. Look over at Haggai 1, verse 13. I am with you, saith the Lord. Now, we might not put it exactly in those words. We would say, our vernacular, I'm for you. Or, or to expound on that a little bit, the Lord is saying, I'm on your side. I'm on your team. I am for you. I am with you. I am for you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. I'm here to help. Now, I mentioned James. James in the New Testament. Again, he says the same thing. And you, and you might have already thought of the verse. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Now, James is saying the same thing again. We have the same theme multiple places in Scripture. You draw nigh to the Lord. And the Lord will draw nigh unto you. And so this afternoon, I just want to look at five, hopefully brief, but five short little points here. And really mostly just application of what it means for the Lord to draw nigh to his people. What does that look like? What are we to anticipate? What are we to expect when the Lord draws nigh unto us? Now, this assumes that we draw nigh to him. And... and this morning we were talking about growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, what is that but drawing nigh to the Lord or seeking 
to, making every effort to seek to draw nigh to the Lord. And so what are we to expect from the Lord in return from that? Five things. First of all, it means he grants to us his presence. Now, I think this is just a surface obvious conclusion that we are to come to. If the Lord is going to draw nigh unto us, then, then there's something about the presence of God being communicated to us in that. And so he grants to us his presence. Now, again, this is something that we see thematically through the scriptures. Isaiah is the first person to put pen to paper, bird feather to parchment, or whatever they wrote with back then. He's the first one to use the word Emmanuel. What we talk about at Christmas all the time, Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah is the first one to use that word, but I would submit not the first person in the Bible to enunciate that concept. Moses talked about that very concept back in the Pentateuch. Moses talked about that, God being with his people, God not forsaking his people. Isaiah just used a a particular word for it. But we see it all through the scriptures as well. And even when Christ came and was here incarnate, on the earth, you remember when he gave the great commission to go and to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Well, those that were going and, and teaching and preaching and seeking to evangelize, they are those that were about the work of God. They were drawing nigh to God. They were doing God's work. And God says, I'm going to be with you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Christ is the one who promised to be that friend that sticks closer than any brother. He is the one who has promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so there's something about the presence of Christ that we can know. Now, Christ is not physically present here with us. But he is spiritually present here with us. He's promised to be where two or three are gathered together. I am there in the midst. But before Christ ascended to heaven, you remember, he told his disciples, I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in the context of that, he said, I'm going to leave you a comforter. I'm going to, that one that's going to draw nigh to you, that one who's going to be with you. And the Holy Spirit If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit and his presence with you always. And you can count on that. And when you're drawing nigh to the Lord and you're seeking to be near to him, you're going to realize, you're going to sense that presence more and more. This is one of the things that it means for the Lord to draw nigh to his people. Second, it means that he communicates to us his love. It is really only when you are pursuing sin in some way that you feel estranged from the love of God. You feel as if God is very distant from you. Sin builds a barrier between us and the Lord. Sin brings that sense of guilt and shame that sense of unworthiness. I'm not worthy for God to draw near to me. Sin dulls our perceptions, and it it dulls our understanding of the love of God. It inhibits 
our ability to experience the love of God when we're pursuing and full of sin. But when we turn to him and the Lord turns to us, the Lord communicates to us effectively that love. And we're at rest and we're at peace in that love. I was thinking of one illustration for this in Mark 5. It's the story of the demoniac of Gadara. Now this man was not a believer before, but the Lord came to him. The Lord drew near to him. And you know the story of this man, demon-possessed man who lived in the tombs. They tried to chain him up. They couldn't contain him. He would, by demonic power, break the chains. And he was a wild, crazy man. And Christ came, and he cast those demons out of that man. And the man was restored back to his right mind. And in the aftermath of that, this man wanted to join with Christ and and follow him. He wanted to go, he wanted to leave the tombs there and, and go and wherever Jesus was going. He wanted to get in the ship and go with him. But we read in Mark 5 verse 19, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And so he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. But in the Lord drawing near to this man, he was demonstrating to him a great compassion, a great love in in rescuing him from his sinfulness. And this man understood that love. And he realized this man has loved me. I want to love him back. I want to follow him. I want to go where he's going. And Jesus said, well, no, I have a different job for you to do. And so he began to be an evangelist there in Decapolis and to teach people of of Christ. But his desire to follow the Lord was in response to that compassion that he had just known from the Lord, with the Lord drawing near to him. The Lord communicates his love to us. He, He warms our hearts by his spirit, by communicating that love. A third thing, a third thing. It means that he applies to us his blessings. He applies his blessings. I used this morning in the illustration that spigot, and it's as if the Lord turned it down. And then we come through Zechariah, and we see Zechariah's prophecies and the Lord's promises to the people, and it's as if the Lord just turns the spigot full blast, and the blessings begin to flow. And what Haggai prophesied of their crops not growing the way they normally would, and their cattle not producing the way it normally would, and and just the, their stuff not not prospering the way it normally would prosper because the Lord was was slowing that down. Zechariah tells the exact opposite, that the Lord is going to increase the cattle in their stalls. The Lord is going to increase their crops and etc. Their livelihood is all going to be all the better because of the Lord's blessing that he gives. Now we talk about the Lord's blessing a lot and we focus and rightly so, I don't want to demean or belittle this, we focus rightly so on the spiritual blessings that the Lord gives to us as people. And I think we we have to understand that is the primary focus of blessing. We're blessed 
with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And you read Ephesians, and it gives you a list in in chapter 1, 14 different things we're blessed with. And they're spiritual in nature. But I'm, I'm going to, on purpose, emphasize the other side of the coin, not to the exclusion of the spiritual, but I want to just emphasize for you the physical because I think we often don't. We're not Gnostics. If you don't know what Gnosticism is, Gnosticism was a heresy that believed anything physical was bad and only the spiritual could be good. And so that heresy in the early church led ultimately to a denial of the physical body. It led to a denial of the real humanity of Jesus Christ because the Gnostics believed the physical can't be good and Jesus is good, therefore Jesus can't be physical. And so it's a, it's a heresy. Well, they believed that for Jesus to be good, then he spiritually just temporarily assumed this human body. Well, that's Gnosticism. That's wrong. Now, I think we're somewhat embarrassed to talk about physical blessings because we don't want to join forces with or be accused of being in the category of the name it and claim it prosperity gospel type preachers that are out there. You know, you pray for, sorry for our brother that drove a Mercedes, but you pray for a Mercedes and you get a Mercedes, right? This is not what we're talking about. It's not what I'm talking about at all. But I do want to emphasize for you that when the Lord blesses his people, can I put it this way? without being silly the lord blesses the whole person spiritually yes but that does not mean that we cannot anticipate and even ask for and long for physical blessings as well can i point to you some examples job was a contemporary of abraham job was the richest man on the planet And he was God's servant. He was the richest man alive. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you read in Genesis of those men, they were some of the wealthiest people alive. They were incredibly wealthy. The Lord has always had his servants that he has blessed in very tangible ways to provide for the needs of his kingdom. A man was telling me a story a couple months ago now. And the story he told me was of a man who paid Forbes magazine $250,000, paid Forbes magazine a quarter million dollars to not publish his name on the list of the wealthiest 400 people in America. He said, I don't want to be on this list. I don't, I don't, I'm on the list, but I don't want to be on the list. Please don't publish me my information well one christian organization went to this man and asked if that year they could be number five on his donor list they needed 30 million dollars and they were number five on his list of charities christian organizations that he gave to he gave to other charities more than $30 million. 
and to number five on his list. We're we're talking about wealth that none of us can even understand. I don't think any of us are going to climb to be there. And that illustration is, is not the point of what I'm talking about. But what I am saying is don't be shy and don't be embarrassed for physical blessings. For the Lord to to enable you in such a way to have that you might give to the needs of others. Uh, Those of you that were here last March when I was here, you'll remember, you might remember, I don't know if anybody remembers anything that I say. My kids don't sometimes, but that's beside the point. But I was here in March and I preached on the subject of work. And you remember that verse in Ephesians 5, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands that he may have to give. Right? And, and part of our work and part of what God blesses us with is to bless us, to enable us to give to, to other needs. Right? This little jar out here for John Kelly, well, y'all need to fill that jar up. This brother is going to a place that's very expensive. He's got a tough row to hoe in front of him in seeking to start a church in Massachusetts. Right? The Lord blesses his people in physical ways that we can in turn bless others in physical ways. Now, I know I've emphasized the physical. I've done that on purpose, not to diminish the spiritual. The spiritual is the primary, and I think we all understand that. But I think we make such an emphasis on that that we neglect the other side that we can anticipate the Lord blessing us in real tangible ways. If you have a business and you pray for the Lord to prosper your business, well, don't be surprised when the Lord prospers your business, when your phone's ringing off the hook and you've got more business than you can do and you've got more quotes than you can give out and you've got more jobs than you can handle. That's the Lord's blessing and that's, that's the prosperity that the Lord would give. And don't be shy of that. There's, there's no shame in being poor, but as... The man in the fiddler on the roof said there's no real great honor in it either. Right? The Lord blesses his people and don't shy away from that. And we can expect that. I believe the Bible gives us warrant to expect such blessing. Fourth, it means that the Lord gives us his help. The Lord helps us. When Haggai says, I'm on your side, well, he's saying, I'm not, the, Lord, the Lord is not against us. The Lord is not there to beat us down. The Lord is not there to trip us up. The Lord is not there to, to make life hard. No, the Lord's there to be a help to his people. He draws near to us to help us. In every temptation, he's promised to make a way of escape. In every trial, the Lord has promised to be there to help. He's told us to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. He's communicated to us all through the scriptures that his aim and his purpose is to help his people. I am with you. I'm not against you. The Lord helps in every way. He helps us to turn from sin. He helps us to defeat besetting sin. He helps us as we try to parent our children and, and make rules in our home of you know, what our kids can and can't do and, and how to communicate those rules in a way that's you know, right and, and fair and, and honorable and and not provoking our children to wrath. 
He is the one who helps us keep our tempers under control. He's the one who helps us to be content with what we have. Maybe we don't have great physical blessings, but we're content with what the Lord has blessed us with. You're not homeless. You're not, you're not destitute. We have meals through the day. We have the Lord's blessing. We can be content with what we have. The Lord is the one there to help us know that word for evangelism when we're trying to speak to a coworker or neighbor or friend or you get all tongue twisted and tied and don't know what to say and forget the verse and but the Lord can help in that and bring to your mind that's what the Lord said the Holy Spirit would do he would bring to remembrance all things that I have said unto you is there to help strengthen your marriage help you to communicate better help you to manage your house, help you to manage your schoolwork and all the rest of it. The Lord is a helper to those that draw near to him. And we could just keep going on with the list. But the Lord helps. Psalm 33:20, our soul waiteth for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Psalm 70 verse 1, make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. We see the Psalms, you, you doing a long study on that of the psalmists that cry to the Lord for help and the Lord comes and he helps his people we see that over and over and over again and then one last thing a fifth thing and that is for the Lord to draw near to his people means that he protects us from our enemies Uh, this is one of the primary roles of Christ as our king as our king he draws us to himself he, he defeats all his and our enemies he protects us from all his and our enemies he protects us from that great enemy the devil he's already done that in rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness adopting us into his family he, he has destroyed the power of satan that was one of the reasons from the incarnation or for the incarnation for for him to destroy the works of the devil He came for that very purpose, and he's done that. Psalm 80 says, Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. For the Lord to cause his face to shine upon us is for the Lord to draw near to us. And in the doing of that, he saves us. He saves us from that great enemy, the devil, but he also saves us from ourselves, from our own foolishness and our own, our own stupidity. We, we need saving from that. At least I need saving from that. I've done a lot of stupid things, a lot of foolish things. You've done a lot of foolish and stupid things. We have a lot of wrong thinking. We, we, our natural tendency is to go away from the Lord. That's stupid. We're to go to the Lord. That's wise. And, and the Lord protects us from ourselves And when the Lord turns us and draws us near to himself, he draws near to us and he protects us from our own understanding. You know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. And verses 5 and 6 are on Sunday school memory cards all over the country. But what about verse 7? Verse 7 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. Well, in verses 5 and 6, we're not to lean on our own understanding. 
And, and in some ways, it's redundant. He says the same thing over again. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but instead fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Well, the Lord has to protect us from that because we are prone to be wise in our own eyes and to puff ourselves up more than we ought. But when the Lord turns to us, he protects us from that foolishness. And he draws us to himself more and more as he draws near to us. You're never going to do better than turning to the Lord, and you'll never know anything better than turning to the Lord. This is what we were talking about this morning uh, from the perspective of seeking the Lord and, and turning to the Lord in that way, that growth in grace is something that's enjoyable. You'll never know better than drawing near to God. And you'll never know better than God drawing near to you. And when the Lord is turned to you, when the Lord is with us as people, there's rest and peace and comfort and satisfaction in that that this world can never know. This is why uh, in Philippians it talks about a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that, that keeps, that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's, that, it's the Lord being with us. There's hope when the Lord is with his people. That's one of the things with Zechariah. He is a prophet of hope. Hope for the future. Hope for, for peace in your heart. A song in your heart. And a joy in serving the Lord. So may the Lord bless us this afternoon as we consider these things. And may we know the Lord drawing near to us in every way. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we are grateful that we can count on your promises that you will draw near to your people. We pray that you would do that great work in us to draw near to you. We pray for any here that would have a coldness of heart and this this afternoon resonates in their own heart with the need that they have to awaken from a spiritual slumber and and draw near to the Lord. We pray that you would make us all to be those that draw near to you. And then we thank you for the promise that you will draw near to us. We pray that you'll bless the remainder of our day. We look forward to a week of labor. We ask for your help to meet every challenge. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.